episode 14 right now. Sports Goose, hi everybody. Uh, to start out, got Charles here. Got myself, hi, Francisco. Yo, what's up? Uh, yes, yeah, the stream has started on Africa TV, if anybody is even watching on that. But we're on the big stuff, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter on Periscope. And uh, sports, five NHL games, four NBA games, 23... Uh, NCAA men's basketball games and 18 NCAA women's games and we are let's say 21 days out from pitchers and catchers reporting for spring training so thank you everybody for uh, tuning in on this chilly Tuesday well not really chilly it's it's gotten back to semi nice weather actually nice weather in in Florida at least um, we're hoping that uh our good buddy Cesar out in L.A. I'm sure he has a lot to talk about as far as the NFL playoffs is concerned. And so do we. As uh, Well, let's start out since uh, we, Cesar isn't here yet. We'll start out with the first game. Or not the first game, really the second game of that, of that Sunday between the New England Patriots and the Kansas City Chiefs out in freezing cold weather. Tom Brady... Uh, Bill Belichick, Robert Kraft, and either the New England Patriots are the most blessed team in football or they're the one that made the best deal with the devil. I can't tell which. Uh, I'm hoping it's with the devil and we'll have maybe 90 plus years of ineptitude from them after this. But man, I, 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 as that game was going on, I know that the Chiefs, uh, in some ways, they did deserve to lose that game because they didn't really start actually getting into the game until the second half. But, man, I, I, I was watching that game, and I'm just like, you know what? I, I, I had already reserved myself to thinking the Patriots are just going to win. Like, it's not, even a, it's not even a question. They're just going to win. I don't know how they're going to do it, but they're going to win. Throughout the first half of the game, I'm just like, yeah, I, I was kind of getting disinterested. And then the Chiefs uh, staged their comeback, and, and then finally we get to the those final plays of the of the game, that uh, that phantom uh, roughing the passer call, which pisses me off, but it's, once again, probably deal with the devil that the Patriots do. They somehow find a way to take advantage of whatever opportunity, whatever little tiny sliver of, of, of good chance that they get. And they do. So, you know, obviously kudos to them on execution because I mean, they could have just easily blown it, but, uh, they didn't. And here, and, um, I am sad. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we're all sad. You know, uh, I, I just, you know, the, the Saints Rams game was a good game, right? You got into it the NFL against the Patriots and it was on a quick relationship that I wanted to marry the Chiefs and then the refs kind of came play playing like that ex of yours that misses you because it's been sometimes like oh come on baby I got you some Super Bowls you gotta get some more because that phantom rough in the passer call like I get from their you know trained versus untrained eye right everything's live they saw Brady's, Brady's helmet kind of rattle a little bit. So maybe they thought it happened. It, it didn't happen. Nothing happened. And then I still, and I, I sent to the group chat, and you know, yeah. I still have that whole beef of where was the offsides because maybe it was a stilled image. I didn't see it. But neutral zone infraction, really? I mean, you got to have a pivot. You have that shoulder move. And I understand. Charles, you're not professional. They don't pay yeah. you to do this kind of talking. But 
of course it happened on the game stealing pick. So yeah. there's a bias to it. I mean, blame the Chiefs defense for having weeks to prepare because you played once, and the only difference between now and then uh, was Josh Gordon in round. So you had time to actually say, hey, let's not screw this up, and they screwed us up, and they fired Bob Sutton today. So I might comment on that a little bit. But it felt wrong because here's the thing, and you have talked about it, and I'll mention that Brady did not look good. Brady, if that, if that pick by uh, Tredavious West got you know, no flag, right. three picks, he wasn't there. It was Sony Michelle, who is a beast, and we're all going to say it, and Rex Burkhead. And you should have known they were going to keep running it because Rex was fresh legs. So once they got the overtime, it's quite simple. Hit the gas on the uh, tired-out defense. But it hurt, man. It hurt a lot because I think I'm at that point where – I'll accept greatness going to the finals, like LeBron going every year. You just accept it, right? Right. Brayton does not look good this year. The Patriots not look good this year. I have mentioned it prior that them getting a second round leads them to a Super Bowl because they're not going to be challenged. And when they were challenged, the better team didn't win out this time. You know what happened? The lucky team won. The lucky team won. And it felt it It felt it that way because I think if they didn't get that flip of the coin, uh, Patrick Mahomes was go down there and score. The kid was on fire. And – after the first quarter, he didn't look like a second-year starter in only his second playoff game. He looked dominant. His stats were, what, 16 for 31? So, yeah, a little bit over yeah. 50%, but he was on point. He took the reads. He went for the easy routes, too. He didn't really try to force in or, and he didn't have uh, pickable throws. Brady was looking at it, you know, and this is what I don't get about the defense. He was only targeted in the middle. It was only going to Edelman. It was only going to Gronk. It was only going to Hogan down the middle. You weren't creative uh, run routes. You've got James White maybe starting with a few of the flat passes and go out there, but I'm like, Andy Reid, Bob Sutton, what are you doing? Don't do this for America. For anybody who's not a New England Patriot fan, don't do this to us. And they did it, and the refs did it, and I'm stick to my stomach. I, I still – I was listening to um... – Channing Crowder today on 560 WQAM down here in Miami, uh, former yeah. Miami Dolphins uh, defensive player. And I just breaking down the fact that all those slant routes that the Patriots did and the, the Chiefs couldn't stop it for, for, for the life of them. And I guess that's why they fired their, their, their one dude. Uh, but yeah. it, uh, kudos to first off, I got I got to praise everybody's praising him right now. Tony Romo. Uh, yeah, my God, so good. One of the best color analyzing in a long time, really. He literally broke down the plays and told you who, what, when, where, and how, and why. Okay? So, yo, is that Cesar? It is. How you guys doing? Hey, man. We're talking about the Patriots-Chiefs games. We're gonna, we haven't talked about the Rams yet. Cause uh, so we were waiting for you, but we're in the middle yeah. of, of of the Chiefs. Uh, oh, and it's Andrew at the same time. Oh, Dear look Lord. at that, dude! Oh, you, you just walked in. All right, cool. Oh. <laughs> yeah, man, just just uh, pop in. Uh, you don't have your computer, or nothing. What's up? You don't have your computer or anything, but I just popped right in. Okay, you just popped right in. Fine, then we'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll um. Go over to my office to get. That doesn't have a plug, so it's it's in it's on my light. But yeah, what's up, guys? Uh, we got our other two members here. Uh, we were talking about the uh, the um, freaking Chiefs and Patriots game. I've got whoa, whoa whoa whoa! I'm gonna take off Chris Berman being stunned at the AFC Championship game because I was looking up showing up the uh, freaking. Uh, 
the roughing the passer call, but still, kudos to Tony Romo, uh, showing who, what, where, and when, and how as color analyst. Uh, he, he, he explained things so that a layman could understand it and could look for it. And so that was my, my, probably the funnest thing of, about that game. If there was anything fun about the ending towards that game, it was how Romo called it. He called the pass to Gronkowski. So basically saying, look, if they put this guy on them, they're going to throw to Gronk. If they don't throw to Gronk, they'll probably throw it over here. And lo and behold, they throw to Gronk for that massive play um, uh, for, for the Patriots and uh, towards the end of that game. And and yeah, it's uh, kudos to Tony Romo. But, uh, but that roughing the passer play, I mean, he hit his arm and I was, uh, I was very incensed about it because I think they just gave... Uh, uh, what was it? Was it? Tom, Tom Brady, Brady the benefit, benefit of the doubt, of the doubt. Uh, because he's Tom Brady. It's basically like how James Harden always gets up to the line in basketball, <laughs> which is also kind of tiring for me as well because it's starting to get ridiculous how how much he gets up to the free throw line. It's 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 insane. Um, all right, and uh, yeah, um, what do you guys want to? want to say about the game you guys are in here now Cesar what, what were your impressions about the Patriots and the Chiefs well I mean it's not surprising as it ever I mean I'm just looking forward to the next game just because obviously I have a lot more oh yeah on yeah, stake there but I mean I will say this it was a great season for Patrick Mahomes I mean the guy really couldn't have done better sorry I'm gonna get on my uber really quickly and then I will be right back with you <laughs> that's great Perfect. <laughs> that's great all right, now I'm on the, I'm sorry, awesome, I'm the call, dude. okay? So, but, yeah, no, I think Patrick Mahomes did amazingly. I think that team is the future. Um, Travis Kelsey, I mean, they obviously need to pick up a couple pieces on defense, but all in all, I really am excited for that team. I mean, Andy Reid obviously couldn't make it to the next level and couldn't take Patrick Mahomes to that level, but full read. I, I think – I think, yeah, I think that <laughs> I think I, I think that team is primed for a great year next year. And I mean, at some point, Tom Brady's gonna finally retire. I think right? well, he's forty. That'll happen. Forty-five. Someone brought up months. an in, someone brought up an interesting point. The first Super Bowl that Brady was in was against the Rams. Yeah. yeah. So it's Kurt Warner. Right. So some people are thinking he it would be poetic justice if he wins the Super Bowl. Sorry, Cesar. It's um, not happening. And then he retires. <laughs> which I think that would be for the benefit of all humanity. If... No. He's going to want seven. He's going to want seven <laughs> Super Bowl championships because nobody... I, I don't think anybody would get... He'd have more rings than Michael Jordan. Okay? He, he wants seven. Uh, okay. Um, so... The officiating for the that that game, I, I have a problem with the roughing the passer call, but overall, um, just kind of, it wasn't that big of a deal compared to the other game. What happened in that game? Huh? What happened in the other game? There was a phantom. There was a phantom roughing the passer call um, mm. on the Chiefs against Tom Brady, where the basically. Um, the, the defensive lineman for the Chiefs waved his hand in front of his face 
hit his elbow <laughs> a little bit or shoulder. I know. And thus, uh, I guess it looked, I mean, Brady kind of had like a reaction, so it might have looked. Obviously, I'll talk about the big one. I mean, the fact of a lawsuit that filed <laughs> on behalf of the season ticket holders and the team. I mean, I don't, I will, I don't blame them. I mean, I would lose my shit if that happened to my team, you know? Like, I, one of my best friends from law school um, actually used to work for this and so went to college. Really? He worked for us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then. It's it's insane how much shit he was talking. I'm like, I, I honestly can't disagree with you. I, I feel for you. I, I it's almost like being a what's it called a Kings fan during the Lakers time when who was it Donaghy or Donahue? Tim Donaghy or the, 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 the what's it called the referee was doing the same kind of calls. Obviously, I don't think this one was well, on purpose, yeah. but it, it was a horrendous non-call. And I mean, t- to my delight, obviously the Rams made it to the Super Bowl and. I mean, obviously, we still have to give credit to Zerline for making that fifty-seven-yard kick. So no, I don't. I, mean, I don't think yeah. anybody's taking that away from Zerline. That's a that's a heck of a kick. Although it, I kind of knew it was. And coming. he had more. He could have kicked the sixty-five-yarder if he wanted to with that much. He mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, he had a he had a ton of leg to spare on that one. I, I'm not taking anything away from Zerline. That being said, it shouldn't have even been in that situation. And I know there were terrible calls on both sides of the field throughout the game but dang that one was just so egregious it's, it's it was yeah it's what everybody's it talking about right now they're talking about more about that than the game which is an oh, issue yeah. for the league i mean at the same time i think we were talking about it we do have two of the biggest markets in the game playing at Super Bowl, and i mean it's great for la i mean we're opening a new stadium in a couple of years i mean the whole fact, again, referring back to Chargers and the fact they don't have a home, I think this will really bring back the excitement to it. I mean, LA's had a couple rough years in terms of sports. We haven't had a championship in what? Like, I, I trade your, you guys' rough years for, uh, well, I mean, we, for at least the last, uh, since LeBron left Miami, I, I trade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's basically us as well. Back to back National League time. championships for the Dodgers. You yeah, know, the Kings have won two Stanley Cups. Uh, yeah, but I don't watch hockey. Yeah, but still, it's in your building. It's, I mean, the Kings own that Staples Center, so it's, you know. Uh, um, but still, like. Uh, but I mean, basketball reigns supreme, generally in LA. Baseball's a close second. But now, with football, if we get a Super Bowl this year, I think they can start kind of inching their way into that market. No, it's perfect for the league. They've moved, the, yeah, they moved essentially, they got two teams in the span of three seasons, and all of a sudden you got one in the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah. Thanks to Jeff Fisher. Uh, <laughs> yes. Exactly. All hail. All hail. All hail Jeff Fisher for uh, seven and nining his way to the to, to the unemployment line. All right. But I mean, we'll see. I, I like I said, I'm excited for the Super Bowl. I really can't stress how crazy it's going to be to like cheer for a team for once that's in the Super Bowl <laughs> and actually mean it. And that, that's a funny feeling. I've never had that feeling. I wonder yeah, why. Yeah. I wonder why. <laughs> and then, I mean, the one thing I am worried about is the whole Todd Gurley situation. I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if he's hurt. I don't know if it really was a mental thing or if he was having an off day. But I'm really hoping these two weeks will bring him back to normal because we definitely need Todd Gurley to create some space. Yes, an interesting point someone brought up. Um, 
apparently this would be assuming that all of the starting rosters remain the same this would be the second time that two pl- that um, two running backs play started the same uh, started the same Super Bowl from the same college in this case it would be Gurley and Sony Michelle oh really I forget who the first one was. Uh, it was a couple of years ago, uh, and they both played. Oh, it was um, one of the ones with Marshawn Lynch in it. So I'm guessing either Cal. Uh, for Cal, right? And I don't know who the opposing running back was. Okay. Hmm. Uh, as far as the the, I don't think there was any bias on the part of the officials at the end of the. I I I, I kind of threw that thing about the markets as a narrative saying okay they got the boston market the east coast and you got la the west coast and la you know three seasons after getting the rams back but i don't think i think it was more that the officials just swallowed their the whistles i think that i think they just let them play i think they let them play i think that's what they were okay we're at the end of the game i think that's maybe in their mindset thinking okay if there's something there we'll let them play but the thing is I kind of agree with that. Like I like I like it at the end of NBA games, uh, NHL games. But when it's something so blatant, that's when it's like, okay, guys, come on, uh, just call this and then move. Like, just call it. I, I don't like little tiny little things and then you know, uh, little nitpicky things. But that was just so blatantly obvious that it was. I, I mean. Maybe from the ref's angles at game speed, you could uh, but people, players are like throwing the flag, throwing the flag, and it's that's a legitimate bang bang play, and I can't really fault a referee for getting that one right or wrong because they don't see things in a thousand frames a, a second; they see things in twenty-four. Yes, humans see in twenty-four frames per second, but that's your science <laughs> lesson for the day. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, speaking of blatant calls, though, did anyone see uh, someone recreated the play and on uh, Madden, and the Madden <laughs> referees called it pass interference? Really? Yes. Hold on, I'm, I'm gonna see if I can find it on YouTube. Madden 19 Saints versus Rams, uh, full sim. No, no, nothing new so far, but. Okay, but that's pretty funny if they did that. Uh, okay, all right, guys, that's uh, I, okay. So, are we gonna save the preview for next week, the Super Bowl preview? I think. Yeah, when we get a better idea as far as who's injured, who's who's um. Or after that loss, he goes through, then they uh, end up replaying. <laughs> you the know, game. that'd be a funny thing to see, man. That I could see Adam Silver doing that and just be like, you know how much money we're gonna generate on that day for that replay of the game. You know how the the, the ratings will skyrocket if they actually did it. You know, if they actually re—that's the win, by the oh. way. Um, if they actually <laughs> redid the, maybe not the entire game, but at least, okay, everybody, back to the Superdome. We're gonna replay the last two minutes and see what happens. <laughs> That would be pretty funny, but it'd be kind of like that that weird um, that rain delay in 2008 between the Phillies and the Rays, where they had a rain delay in, in Philadelphia and they stopped the they stopped the World Series. Was it the clinching game? I don't remember. I think it was game I don't five. Of the, I, I, 
I that was game five or one of those yeah. of the World Series. And it they, was like in the middle one. Yeah, it was like in the fifth inning or something. Like you know what, guys, we're just gonna come back tomorrow and, and keep playing. It's it was it's kind of weird like that. Uh, but that's getting off talk uh, off topic for baseball. <laughs> Speaking of baseball, it's a good good. Uh, unless you want to say something. No. Okay. Let's transition. Uh, Major League Baseball just released the Hall of Fame class of 2019, and. Charles is pretty happy. I know that. Uh, Many I'm happy too. Yeah, actually, this is probably one of the classes that I really don't have any issue with anybody, anybody whatsoever. It's I agree. Uh, a lot of Yankees, but <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Of, I mean, it's kind of Mariano Rivera is in, and he's unanimous. That's of course. The, I mean, as it should. Be. I'm so happy that we finally Thank have a unanimous God. because it was just so arbitrary. So many players could have been unanimous in recent years. Cal Ripken Jr., Derek Jeter, Ken Griffey Jr. For sure, Griffey. Uh, yeah. All of them were within one or two votes, and it was just so arbitrary that there were these voters who were saying, I'm going to vote no just for the for the principle. Yeah, because no- Babe Ruth didn't give unanimously, and I'm like, well, that's because some idiot back in 1950 whatever. didn't realize that he's an idiot. But whatever. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but... I'm f- glad that they finally just said enough of this. And it couldn't really go to a more deserving guy. Not only was he a high-quality player on the field, he was a high-quality person off the field. And he Agreed. really he is the definition of the perfect closer, really. Um, yeah. I know that he gave up some pretty big home runs in the 2001 uh, World <laughs> Series that brought the Diamondbacks back into it. But overall... He was just an absolutely dominant player. All right, Charles, say your piece. All right, <laughs> uh, I'll do this for I love the fact that he was unanimous. It should have been Ken Griffey that was the first guy. I think he was off by like three votes. Sometimes you get voters for the Hall of Fame that believe that. Let me give it to this guy because we know this guy is a sure and lock. And Mariano was a sure and lock. He had basically one pitch in his historic career, but he was the guy. He is the epitome. He's the setup. You know, he, he and we're going to bring him back to my second love, which is wrestling. He's basically <laughs> your undertaker, and when it's WrestleMania, you're going 22-0, and 0, baby, until you meet that Brock Lesnar or Roman Reigns. Spoiler alert for those, those from behind. But you know when it was Mania season, Taker's match was either going to be very good, great, or just kind of struggling along, but you know he was going to win it. That's the sensation that you felt when Mar- Mariana was in play. Um, and the fact is, he, he was the just the perennial all-star, perennial best player, such a good guy on and off the field. I remember I got to see him in his final year when they were against the Rays, and they were losing, so he didn't come out, but he still came out for autographs afterwards. Uh, it was between me and one really fat guy who was shouting <laughs> in Spanish, for los hijos, I'm like, no, get out of my way, forget the kids for me. Mariano, for those you know who are coming in, they know I'm a Yankee fan. He was my favorite Yankee, and a lot of people are shocked by that because they always think of Jeter. You know, that's that's the other quintessential Yankee in the modern day. Oh, game. the quintessential Love me Marlin, some Jeets. Really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Love me some Jeets. Love me the captain. But it was Mariano because that was tit for tat the best player in his role in his position. And I know there's some flack in the old era of baseball where they say, hey, you shouldn't really reward closers because back in the day, wink, wink, looking at you, Goose Gossage, they say, uh-huh. hey, we could be out there eight innings. But even if he was an inning, an inning and two-thirds of it, he was dominant for the most part. Yeah, he broke our hearts. 
a little bit against the Diamondbacks, and he kind of messed up some things, but it happens. Nobody is unhittable, but he, Mariano Rivera was damn near unhittable, and that's why he's a snap man, because you're going to sleep. <laughs> it's very few people that get a sports science segment dedicated to their ability to throw a cutter and how a couple of millimeters change creates all these crazy breaks on this cutter. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And I was just searching through Twitter. Sorry to take over things again. (laughs) More people have walked on the moon than people who scored on Mariana Rivera in the postseason. Wow. So, 11. 11 people scored on them, and 12 people have been on the moon. Have there been 12 people on the moon? That's That was the stat that I saw, the one that you're reading. Yeah. So, so I think that, in a nutshell, says how dominant this guy is. I've I've always, like, throughout the career, like, every time I watch Yankee highlights on ESPN or or what have you, or even just... um, I, it's that 2003 World Series. I just I did not want any part of Mariano Rivera when the Marlins faced the Yankees. Like if they, I'm like, because I was I knew I was I knew I was like, if he's in the game and the Marlins are down, there's no chance we're gonna score against them. Almost zero chance. Okay, I know he had the 2001 World Series, but he was still <laughs> one of the most dominant closers at that time. And he was in his prime, and I'm like, no, we the Marlins need to find a way to be ahead of the Yankees in some way and they well they thankfully did but he was the scariest player for me just uh, thinking about him like man because I, you know, I don't like the Yankees but it, one of the reasons was because of him because he was so automatic that it was like if they have a lead he's just gonna win it and I mean it's like you guys said I mean he is the platform he is the standard yeah. He is the ultimate closer, and I'm so glad he's not only in the like I said, unanimously. Uh, it's, you couldn't have come to a better guy, in all honesty. You really couldn't have. And again, it's crazy to see someone who I grew up watching now in the Hall of Fame. So it is a little bit uh, a little striking and a little kind of makes me feel old. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I really am not, I'm not bitter about it whatsoever. Thank you. Just getting off my Uber now. Uh, <laughs> so, that's great so yeah I mean I'm happy to see that the rest of the class is also amazing seeing Moose in there seeing Doc in there and then uh, Edgar Martinez it's, it's, it's a great class like you guys said it's overall just an amazing class seeing someone like Edgar, Edgar Martinez spend his entire career at the Marlins wait sorry the Mariners and then I mean Moose Moose is just Moose was amazing Never the biggest Yankee fan, but Moose was amazing. Yeah. And that, go ahead. That's the, that's the thing that's said about because me and Francisco had talked about it, which was kind of kind of uh, almost segue it. We were shocked that Athena actually got in there uh, because this quickly, Mike, very quickly. I mean, this was like his, uh, I think, fourth or fifth year on the ballot, and Mucina, you know, he had his time in Baltimore. He had his time in with us, and, and to me, I always thought he was a very good player. But I guess with the Hall of Fame, it goes down to that seeing eye test where sometimes you don't take into what the postseason accolades might be, but you look at the overall uh, build of the resume. Because I feel, you know, Cesar, you didn't come on so late when, when I had that opinion that I'm not a big Hall of Fame guy. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's more or less like scratching backs and that's it, and I'll keep it PG for the moment. But looking at <laughs> Moose's overall stats is, you know, he had 
you know, 270 wins, still 150 losses. His ERA was a three state. Um, he was, you know, pretty prime as a player, but in his later years, he was bringing it, um, especially this final couple of seasons when he was winning. I remember, I think it was like the season before he retired. He had about 20 games won, which was the first time he ever had 20 games that he won um, in the season. You know, I know he was an all-star a couple of times, uh, a few things go with it. So it, it's interesting because there's not a guy here that was not, mind you, it's four. So it's not the most outstanding number, but it's different for the Baseball Hall of Fame because you talk about picky. They're picky, man. Um, who do I get? Who they want to get in? But you know, none of these four guys that come in there, I can really say don't like, don't like, don't like. You know, Doc Holliday, Roy was an excellent player. Hell you know, yeah, I talked about it. You know, in Toronto, he was the most relevant guy, and he was like the ultimate guy, and he was one of the most sought out pitchers once he finally gave up Toronto. And then Edgar making it on the eleventh hour was great for him because that opens up the doorways that maybe, just maybe, the MLB writers and those who vote for the Hall of Fame, those who receive the Hall of Fame, should really just kind of burn it down and rebuild and figure out what's the best way to bring guys in to truly recognize their game instead of playing the politics of the steroid era, which I'm not a fan of, and also play the politics of introducing relief pitching uh, setup men and closers. I, for all families. Yeah, I mean, that's true because they're... Mariano was a setup guy in 96, so, I mean, mm-hmm. it's... It'll open up these, especially now in baseball, because now baseball's, you know, sabermetrics and all this other stuff. I mean, the game is evolving to the point where, I mean, you have managers starting their relief pitchers instead of actual starters, uh, putting up their closer for the first one or two innings of the game, and then putting in their starter. So things are getting a little weird. So at some point, you need some sort of flexibility with the with the, uh, I guess, the positional, the traditional positional players. Uh, and having Edgar in as a DH, finally recognizing uh, that position, uh, legitimizing it in some sense as well. Um, we've had closers getting in, getting in now for Mariano, but, you know, he's the best one. So he, he, if he is the definitive closer. But now you got Edgar Martinez, who was really the first definitive DH. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first definitive guy where you're like, that's what a designated hitter should do. That's what they should look like. That's what they should be. And now we, we're starting to see it again. I mean, we saw, and David Ortiz is probably the next guy who I would imagine would be in that position. But then um, you've got, and then you've got the, the fact that you've got maybe. Uh, me like a Miguel Cabrera or Albert Pujols will end their career most likely as DHs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you gotta have to recognize that position at some point because it does keep some guys' careers alive. And I'm glad that they let him in because, well, as you mentioned, he he kind of defined the DH in the first place. But beyond that, he his impact on Seattle, uh, whether it was. I think he had a game-winning hit that kind of saved Seattle baseball. As yeah, in the 95 playoffs against the Yankees. Right. Everyone credits Griffey for coming from first to home, which, don't get me wrong, that's epic. But he was the one that got the hit, Martinez was, and he's still beloved by people in Seattle to this day. So I'm, I'm glad that people were able to look beyond the – oh, but he's a DH, he's not a position player argument, and just saw that he is a good player worthy of being in the Hall of Fame. 
And uh, once I, I want to get back to Mike Piscina a little bit. I mean, Charles, he he won twenty games his final final season, final season at thirty nine years old. He was twenty and nine uh, with the three point three seven ERA in the American League, and he was unfortunately one year off from the Yankees winning in two thousand and nine. So he, yeah. he 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 doesn't have a ring. So, but who knows? Who knows? He probably would have won it with the Yankees. Who knows? If yeah, if he stayed, and that was just. His retirement, remember, compelled the signing of CC, yeah, and then uh, just the whole trio because of him, Teixeira, and then AJ Burnett. Uh, so it was filling a void. I, yeah, it just goes back because you don't think of Messina. Sometimes when a guy has a 17 year career, it's expected for them to have a, a lot of wins and a lot of losses. But looking at the aggregate. You know his final. I'm just gonna look at his final five years on stats wise. I mean, his final wins. season, he had he pitched 200 innings. I yeah, mean, yeah, he was in there. Yeah. So it, it, it's good that they're taking attention to this because I mean, there's still some politics at play where you know the voters weren't going to push on to anybody of the steroid era. No Barry, no Clemens, even though Clemens. You know, that's the one where I think the biggest, my personal opinion, from the steroid era at the moment, the push should go to for at least getting some votes in. You know, McGuire, Barry, so they all had some dilution tests that came out a little bit. You know, what Clemens' big thing was like, no, no, no I'm just going to capital call my uh, trainer liar, even though I knew what he was giving me. But hey, but, you know, and then I think Manny Ramirez is on this year, but Manny tested twice for PEDs and then I think a blocking agent. So, that, that's like a fly. But this is good to set up because, you know, to bring it back, not just the Musina, but I, I think of bringing this both Edgar and to, um, you know, Mariano. It's just, you know, this is a good setup to say, hey, he might not have been. There's going to be some guys who weren't stellar in postseason because maybe they didn't get the opportunity to go to postseason, but they were consistently consistent. And that's why I feel like Messina was. Because for Mariano's sakes, the next best guy who's come up, I think, is going to be Trevor Hoffman. I don't know if he's already available or. He's in. He's in. Uh, He's already okay. So yeah. there's like another Hoffman's one that's in. in my head. Um, What's that? Hoffman's in already. I mean, he yeah, was the, there's, there's like another one who's on the horizon of like closers and stuff. But it just can't rate to me. Get back to me in 2020. We'll talk. And then you know the DH stuff. You're, you're gonna get. It's gonna be flooded with it. I mean, I would even argue that Gary Sheffield, in theory, played out as a DH when he was in his final years. But hey being a slugger but you're gonna have, but david ortiz i think is more of an easier transition in i mean aside from his pd uh positive testing and Th- it's like last year the guy that's the thing about david ortiz he might because he's such a likable guy he was such a likable yeah. guy he was such a great clutch hitter and a very good uh power hitter just a hit better great hitter overall even his final seasons mm-hmm. um maybe with his personality i mean he did get caught already and with the dhn now maybe he opens up that door for hey guys this whole drug stuff all right fine but yeah, we'll let david yeah. ortiz in as the first guy to... i mean at the same time you have to remember uh, like what dave ortiz did for the red sox i mean before dave ortiz not that he did it on his own right but he did help bring a, a world championship to the red sox it's a pretty big thing that i think we have to include so while we do have sure the PED comments, but at the same time you have to balance that against the fact. But, but do you there think? Have been... Yeah, he had the great one of the greatest moments in postseason history. You know, with that that home run after Dave Ross. Exactly. You know, the, the steal. Yeah, the steal. Uh, your your manager actually. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, he he looked nothing like he did back then, man. And he that ten year challenge, man. He has the one at age, that's for sure. Uh, Dave Roberts. Uh, okay, but but do you think, Sailor? Do you think that if Ortiz gets in, it would open up the door for guys like Bonds and Sosa, McGuire, Clemens, maybe? Not whatsoever. None. I don't. I don't believe so. No. Really? I just, I, I like you said. I think um, Ortiz was such a likable character. Additionally, I think you have to weigh that whole Red Sox thing, that that part of his career, that part of his legacy, I think that outweighs anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, all these other players, I mean, Sister and Maguire, sure, they had the home run race, but neither of them actually got a world championship. I actually, Maguire did. Maguire did at the yeah. A's, right? Yeah, with the A's yeah. in the beginning yeah. of his career. But, I mean, he wasn't the like titular player in that point. I was like almost more for the sake of him. And then... I, I don't know. I mean, with Bonds, Bonds is obviously one of the most disliked players ever in MLB, especially by people like me from Los Angeles who <laughs> despise the guy. Um, other than that, I mean, you have Kurt Schilling, just as disliked as anyone. Uh, I think, yeah, referencing back, uh, Roger Clemens could eventually make it because I think, honestly, as he was getting into his like later years with the Astros, the fact that he's still putting up that heat and bringing up those like numbers and playing that well in the playoffs, I think that is something that eventually will be taken into account. But, yeah, I, I definitely see um, David being the first. And, again, like I said, you just have to weigh everything that happened in his career. I mean, he started off with the Twins kind of slowly, and maybe, obviously, there is a, a good argument to be made that the reason he got so much better was because of the PEDs. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just I don't put him in the same categories. Okay. So playing off his, I guess, his likability, playing off the politics that Charles doesn't like about the Hall of Fame standards, you know, um, could get him in rather than a guy like Sosa, who, yeah, he didn't win a ring. McGuire, I could, I guess, more egregious because you could tell he was taking the stuff. I guess Clemens, if out of all those guys, Clemens would be a good one. I guess Clemens and Bonds, because like you said, uh, Clemens was was the dominant pitcher with all those Cy Young awards and everything. And the fact that he played so well in the postseason, especially getting to the Yankees and, and getting the Astros to the World Series in 2005 was another thing. So yeah. let me ask you guys a quick question right. on this because we're talking about likability. And, and this isn't more of a stat-based question. It's more about like bringing value to the sport. There was nothing hotter in those late 90s than Sammy and McGuire and because it's PED, so, you know, maybe not, not just the revenue, but the showcasing TV spectacle that you brought, the contribution of entertainment-wise to your – there's no way to track it. There's no way to adjust it, but you just know not. Can that be something that the voters should consider unless you're going to go pure sense? I mean, you can't be in 1930s, 1940s, 1950s mode when it's no longer radio-dominated entertainment and, you know, we're coming into a different segue where people are watching – highlights on ESPN, YouTube, whatnot, to watch live games, you know, because we're now we're now we're getting into that generation in about five, ten years, gonna be who's the highlight guy? Is that something that might be considered? Hmm. Sure. Making the game fun. Making because it... baseball baseball is a dying sport. Yeah, I mean, I mean uh, go, ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I mean okay, fine. Um I think, stir the pot more and more. I think likability <laughs> is really. I mean, look, I, I think it's a, a thing that you do have to consider. I mean, look at the. I'm gonna go to the NBA, and it's it's such a big deal when those guys make the Hall of Fame and everything because, 
you have that connection to them because obviously the NBA is personality driven. I think that's for me, I think baseball needs more of that than anything else. Baseball needs more personality driven stuff. That's why I like the bat flips. I love that stuff. Mm -hmm. I love when pitchers, I'd love for pitchers to have their own version of a bat flip. If you would say, you know, just, I love that sort of showboating type of stuff because I see it in basketball. I see uh, Joel Embiid, you know, blocking James Harden and just talking trash to him. It's perfect. I love it. It's fantastic. I think um, baseball needs more of that stuff. And I think that putting guys in the Hall of Fame who I think this next generation that's coming in, because, you know, Mariano and those guys, they, they were like, they still follow, especially as a Yankee, you know, the Yankee way, be professional, be classy, that sort of thing. You know, don't, don't do much trash talk, any of that stuff. But now baseball, you got this kind of conflict between the unwritten rules of baseball, which I also hate. I hate the unwritten rules of baseball, okay? Um, uh, I I, I think that baseball writers, especially as you younger ones get into, they need to really do um, their homework as far as likability about guys because they need to market their own sport as well. I mean, they're they're in the industry as well. They need to... um, make baseball fun and having fun guys like i said like david ortiz guys like that uh getting into the hall of fame really helps the sport because the hall of fame is a marketing tool for those sports as well it's a museum it's it's the collection of of the greatest ever it's the super smash brothers of their sports you know it's it's a celebration of of baseball or basketball or football or hockey so baseball needs to celebrate their guys and uh, especially their popular guys i mean sammy Sosa was my favorite player growing up so i would love to see him in the hall of fame okay i know what he did but i still found him one of the most likable personalities and i I really enjoyed it when he played and i remember seeing him the last game i ever saw him play was at fenway park when the texas rangers were, were, were playing them and even though he didn't hit a home run or anything, I was still super excited just to see him. So, uh, writers need to take that into account, man. Uh, some, I get excited when I see my. I'm excited for Roy Halladay getting in, because I remember seeing him. He was such a likable guy, and and he deserved it more than anything else. And it's posthumous, which is unfor- unfortunate, but um, they really do need to take that into account. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't disagree with that. I mean, it does come down to what we were talking about, the old school versus the new school. Um, one of the players that was on the Dodgers uh, just left us. Obviously, Yasiel's been uh, the target of a lot of criticism because of whether it be the bat flips or the kissing or the, <laughs> I mean, anything that he did was kind of, uh, he was a target. So I, I don't know exactly where I draw the line, but no, I agree with, yeah, I, mean, I remember Eric Gagne when he was in his heyday. He used to have his fist pump. And I he won the Cy Young the MVP in the same year, right? I don't think he won the MVP. I think he just won the Cy Young. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. But that was Kershaw. Kershaw won the MVP Cy Young. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. Wrong Dodger. But, but, I mean, there's stuff like that. There's that, like, nastiness that comes from, like, uh, who is another? Like, well, Gagne was one of those. But when you have a pitcher, especially a closer, who can bring that heat, who can bring that nastiness, I'm trying to think of the person actually – referencing in my head but it's, it's a little blanking um but i definitely think there does need to be some added flavor to the game like as we mentioned um 
maybe when you're stealing a base, give your uh, teammates a little shout out or. I mean, uh, they do they... have that. Those guys, they have all their their signs and stuff. I love seeing that. Like you said, like I love seeing that stuff. But I think it just comes down to the purist being like it's too much. It has to be classier. It has to be less of this. It's it's an old school game. I, I do agree that we do have to take that into account, at least in terms of um, the way baseball's played and whether they want to survive this um, this avalanche of different sports, especially the NBA and the NFL. Um, but I don't know if we should take that into account in regard to like the hall. And I think I think a lot of that just comes down to numbers. I think a lot of that comes down to. And I mean, maybe obviously likability is a factor, but it shouldn't be the determining factor. Right. I definitely think it just comes down to numbers. And I mean, I won't say that numbers are the only things because obviously you want to take into account uh, rings, you want to take into account winning seasons, uh, quality of players that were on their team, whether they carried, whether they're the MVP, whether, I mean, I don't know about all star games, but to an extent, you want to take it into account. So, likability, sure. In this new media, maybe it's something we should consider, but to use it as a measuring stick or a determinative factor, I, no. I'd want it to play a small role. Okay. Just the tiniest role. All right. Again, Mariano was likable, but he wasn't the loudest player. He, he, was, he was a good Yankee. You know, he, he kept to himself. He was, like, he was a good soldier, and... I think I think that's a exemplary example, or that's exemplary of what someone in the Hall of Fame should be like. Alrighty. No thoughts? Yeah. Uh, I mean, y'all uh, covered it pretty well. I think the only thing I would add is kind of going back to the kind of the flair of the game. I think there can be a good balance. I've seen video of some players not in the majors but in the lower levels who who do a bat flip where the thing goes 30 feet in the air and they just kind of stand on top of home plate watching it for 30 seconds or whatever i think that's taking it a okay little that bit one i would throw a fastball to his head the next exactly next up. that <laughs> one i would okay i think that's taking it a little bit too far uh but at the same time there should be a bit more flair like i'm glad MLB has done the started doing the players weekend. They're starting to loosen their restrictions on cleats or other uh, other equipment. Before I think it was just it could only be black or white. Right. But now they're starting to add a little bit more color to it, things like that. So they're starting to get with the times a bit. Um, you know, my personal favorite is Brad Boxberger with his players weekend jerseys. He has the emoji of a box and a cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> So they they are starting to lighten up a little bit, but you kind of can't take it too far to the point where everyone on earth would be expecting you to get a beanball on the next on the next at bat. Okay. Alrighty. So that's baseball talk, I guess. Uh, we still have more topics about it, but for now we'll move on. I, I wanted to talk about the fact that nobody wants Carmelo Anthony anymore. Um, <laughs> Isn't it sad? It, don't you feel sorry for him now? I mean, I know he's got millions of dollars, but as a as a you know player, I, feel like... I, I don't know how sorry I feel for him because I mean okay. he got paid this year and uh, <laughs> that's true. I, I'd be okay with being considered sorry and making twenty million. No, I I mean like sorry from uh, I guess uh, uh, 
Like I, I know Cesar, you play basketball from a, I guess a player standpoint, you know, just competitive standpoint, you know. Well, of course. I mean, I, I, it sucks, but at the same time, it's at some point you realize you're washed, and I think Melo needs to understand that. I think who was it? The Lakers were willing to take him on as a bench player, but he still wants to start. There's no way. I mean, he, he defensively, he's a negative. Offensively, sure, he can shoot, but he stops the ball. And he's not good enough to, like, create for other players anymore. So, I think he's, he's, a, he's a relic at this point, and he needs to understand that. If he wants to come in and help the young team, a lot, I'd say someone like Tyson Chandler, I think he's a perfect example, someone who are Lakers. He's mentoring, say, uh, Ivica Zubak. That's a great role that you take on. You come over, you teach someone like Brandon Ingram how to play a little bit better in ISO situations. I, I mean, the fact that he wants to come in and still be a, a star to a 2B or a 1B, I think that's it's absurd. And I, until he realizes that, he's, gonna be, he's not going to be in the league. I like your point about him being more. He would be so valuable as a teacher, as a as a guy, as a steward toward, or I guess uh, like a, a Mr. Miyaki of sort. Yeah. For, for some, because look at Kristaps uh, Porzingis, how much he loved playing with Carmelo. He, he he you know sings his praises because Carmelo taught him so much. So, I think you got a good point there as to Carmelo maybe really does need to rethink what he could be finishing out his career because if not yeah. he's done he's going to china <laughs> which i mean hey i would go to china if they pay me 20 million dollars yeah i mean he could be another failed knicks player like stefan marbury marbury and going to china but but still it's still terrible for his legacy i i mean there was that talk of Dwayne wade before uh finishing his career in china or something but i don't think he's going to do that because it's i mean it, it's still it feels like Okay, you got so washed up that you had to end up in China. I, because I, I, I was such a fan of Carmelo, uh, in this, you know, when he was with the Nuggets. Um, yeah. Like I, yeah, there was like an episode of Ned's Declassified on Nickelodeon. Where, <laughs> like it, uh, I think he was trying to get his Carmelo shoes or, or a Carmelo jersey or something like that. But Carmelo actually guest starred in it, and it was a hilarious That's episode. Cool. Yeah, yeah, but he was so likable back then and everything. He still is likable, actually. I mean, he might not like Kevin Garnett and Serial at this point, but um, <laughs> <laughs> y'all remember that? Uh, Hi, that Cheerios is my favorite insult that you make to somebody. <laughs> God, Kevin Kevin Garnett's another guy that, man, I wish he was still playing, to be honest. Um, I will say, and I, I make this disclaimer fully, I don't really follow the NBA that much. But I sort of think this is kind of of his own doing a little bit. Uh, because I know he he would still be a superstar if he was on the Nuggets. Or at least he would be that, that one. I don't think the Nuggets want him. <laughs> well, there was a point where at least they were okay. trying to keep him. Okay. And then he jumped ship to... Well, he demanded a trade to the New York Knicks. Even though he yeah, could have... Yeah, even though he could have perfectly... Um, Waited out the entire season, see how far he went in the playoffs with the Nuggets, and then go to New York as a free agent. But I don't know. He wanted them to get something. I'm not sure time. if y'all believe in karma. Okay, that was nice of him. To do what? Uh, to be traded at least, and then the Nuggets got something in return. But that's true. Either way, the Nuggets and the Knicks, nobody won that trade. <laughs> right. 
because, <laughs> but that toxicity of Carmelo. I mean, you could see it. Uh, remember Lin Sanity, everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> remember how awesome the Knicks were without Carmelo during that stretch before he got Jeremy Lin got destroyed in Miami. <laughs> I mean, but then Carmelo comes back, and all of a sudden the whole makeup of the Knicks offense changed and uh mike woodson had to find different ways to try and work with them but you know carmelo wants the rock he wants the ball in his hands and that's the issue with today's nba as well i mean carmelo hasn't really adapted to today's game right He's yeah tough. yeah it's tough because i mean you got a lot of them doing free flow offense just passing the open guy and he's so he's such an iso look some guys skill sets are best to have the ball and shoot Jimmy Butler is my modern day example at the moment, but uh, part of it too is that I think he put his he put his faith in the wrong team because him and Mike D'Antoni had some problems in New York. Like hands down, Mike D'Antoni quit, you know, from being the New York's coach because of the toxicity. Because he couldn't do with James and he couldn't do with Carmelo. It, it it doesn't work going back to that kind of relationship when you know that style of offense is not fit for you. Part of it's ego. He would still be valuable. Look, there's probably going to be at least five teams that could utilize him, you know as a bench or a weak starter because someone's injured. It's just, you know, this just might not be the year. Next year, maybe. He probably has about two years of actually playing the game if he hasn't been blackballed out. So it's a mixture of karma, trying to find the right fit for him, and just him being a little bit... Dude, because he was always kind of like that. Remember in the year where it was him, Melo... Uh, I, I quote him twice. Melo, LeBron, Chris Paul, and Dwayne. Everybody said, let's wait a year to go sign these big contracts. He's like, oh, no, I want big money now. Denver, send me out and get my big money from Knicks and then you wait out and then all of a sudden all these other, the Banana Boat Club are going out and they're making all their cash a little bit more than he is he just always kind of did his own way and now he's kind of paying root for it yeah okay so let's talk about to the other side of that trade the Bulls who actually um, uh, the Rockets actually had to pay the Bulls just to take Carmelo <laughs> uh, but still uh, the Bulls are full on on the tank boat guys all right, so is Zion really worth worth it? Is it really that like Ooh. should to teams? Because like Ooh. I'm gonna look at this. I'm gonna pull up the standings right now, okay? Because right now the Bulls and um, uh, who, who's the other worst team in the NBA as well right now? The Cavs. The Cavs. The Cavs. Oh, of course, Dan Gilbert and his. his... <laughs> so that means the Cavs are gonna win. Uh, what but... was it that urinating tree? He said it was a built a team built by LeBron for LeBron with no LeBron yeah <laughs> essentially that's what the Cavs are and I mean this it's it's bad but I mean uh, okay guys let's start talking about Zion because well, well I'll, I'll give it I'll give a take because I have to leave in a couple minutes go ahead dude. And I, I'm actually very very interested in this I think Zion possibly is going to be one of the best players that I've seen in my generation. I mean, I know Ooh. people have been high on him. Whoa. Hey. But, I mean, this kid's an athletic freak. He plays great defense on the help. I, I mean, he rebounds. He's smart. He has a handle. Not, maybe not as good as LeBron, but he's already, what, 275 pounds yeah. in college? Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's a... Uh, like I don't think it's gonna. Be, I hope it's not a weight issue that ever like slows him down with like something like Charles Barkley later in his years. But I think that's a comparison as of now. A Charles Barkley who's developing a jump shot. 
So I I think he's a number one pick. So what? So that that what? What about his game? Do you think? I mean, because you are saying that he's going to be one of the best in the generation. Like, what is what is that X factor about his game that makes you say that? Uh, his handle, obviously, his his immense athleticism. Uh, I think he's a decent passer for his age. Defensively, like I said, he helps really, really, really well. I mean, some of these block shots are just amazing. And other than that, I also think he's just a hard worker for a kid his age. I mean, he's already experienced all the hype that's coming along with this new generation of athlete, and he's dealt with it pretty well. And then he chose to go to Duke, which to me was a pretty telling sign that he's not just looking for like some uh, hype just for now. No, he wants to be a, a, tr- a, a coachable player. I mean, you don't go to Duke and Coach K and kind of expect to be a diva. So he's working with the team, and he has so many other stars on that team with Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett and uh, uh, Tyrus Jones' uh, old brother. I mean, I think it's, it's I think that show that told me a lot about him, and I really think I'm very high on this kid. What year is he in school, Zion? What year? He's a freshman. Yeah, he's, he's a, a freshman. freshman. Yeah, he's a freshman. I'm gonna throw a wrench into your just playing devil's advocate here. Okay. What if he decides, you know what? I don't want to be a one-and-done. What happens? Does the league decide to implode? It'd be funny for the Cavs. That's <laughs> <true>. <laughs> I mean, I'd be, I'd be completely shocked because, I mean, why not take guaranteed money? That so. Yeah, I mean, unless he really is that sort of different type of player who actually does want to win, but, I mean... One blown out knee and. But yeah, I uh, do have to leave you guys now. All right, Cesar. Great out. I'll see you guys next week. I'm excited to talk Super Bowl. Yeah, Super Bowl. Next take care, week. buddy. All right, guys, take care. Bye. Good night. Uh, I'm going to steal his thought process to go to you. In college basketball, you don't really find a lot of loyalty because the program already has the replacement the day you play your first game, especially in Duke, Kansas, Kentucky. Uh, a lot of big names in. I mean, he's averaging 21 points, nine rebounds. Uh, he's improving his three-point game. He is going to be, barring any kind of substantial injury, a one or two guy. And I can't even think of a second guy who's better than him. But he'll be in the top three. And for basketball, that's just so much money. Um, most of the time, too, when you're that high of a lottery pick, you're also guaranteed kind of like a starting job, at which is mm-hmm. which is – that's the thing about basketball. If you're picked from like one through eight, you're going to be a starter. If you're picked afterwards, there might be some time that you see the floor. I mean, hell, the uh, basketball executives just stash dudes overseas. And wait, Dario Saric is an example. Um, so there's guys who are picked because they're a reflection of need in the first round. There's guys who are picked as, yeah, uh, guys who are a reflection of. It's the connection. It's, it's, it's popping back up again there. All right, so uh, can you hear me back, Charles? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. All right. Okay. So, so what was that last sentence that you said about about um, your last thought process? Uh, some guys in a lottery pick are just for development. Some guys are, you know, going to be about potential. Some guys are sure out dominant, and Zion's dominant. I would even venture that if they still let kids come out of high school, he would be your high school kind of player drafted in. That's true. Yeah, I mean, he's been his highlight reel has been surreal. It really has. I, I'm really, I'm really excited about the NBA draft. To be honest about it. So, um, 
All right, so Zion is definitely worth the tank, right? Uh, uh, yeah, but it's gonna be tough because you have two other teams. I mean, I'm looking horrible. at. I mean, I love a good tank race, as you all know. Okay, so right now the worst team in the league is the Cleveland Cavaliers. They haven't even gotten double digits of wins yet. They're <laughs> nine and thirty-nine. They are. They're really going for it. As soon as they trade, once they trade Kevin Love, it's it's all over. Um, the New York Knicks. I mean, they're they're doing their darndest. And could you imagine him in New York? I mean, oh, I, 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 could, I could see, yeah. yeah, a Patrick Ewing, you know, finagling of the draft sort of thing happening if that happens. Because look, Cleveland had their shot. Okay, they already had LeBron. I think if the league were to sort of, you know, mess with the ping pong balls a little bit, <laughs> I could see the New York I, Knicks pulling him out. I mean, wouldn't you want to build an idea to, of to kind of weight it down a little bit? <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you want to build that idea of Tim Hardaway, Christoph Porzingis, and uh, oh, Zion Williamson? That yeah. could, because here's the thing: Tim Hardaway Jr. is like a good. He's a good guard. He's not like yeah. he shouldn't be the face of your franchise no, right now. Not. He is because of an injury. Yeah. But you know, you could. Wouldn't that be what New York wants? Grit, a little bit of grit, a little bit of flash, a little bit of smack talk. I mean, he's like now that I'm looking at the standings now, I'm like, man, because look, as much as you know, I love seeing the Knicks down. It's pretty bad for the league that they're New York franchise i mean i know the nets are actually having an okay uh season right now but i mean the knicks are obviously the team of new york and they've been bad for so long i i would i would definitely see the league kind of doing their little magic and having him drafted by them yeah i mean right it, instead of you know the phoenix suns have had their shot you know uh, with with uh, number one draft picks, I mean the Chicago Bulls are another kind of enticing franchise to land Zion uh, as a new a new representative to that you know prestige that the Bulls uh, still kind of do have, even though it's been a long now twenty plus years since Michael retired uh, for the second time. <laughs> and and what well, dear lord, the Memphis Grizzlies really fell off the wagon, didn't they? They yeah. started off so well. Okay. Well, that's that's why you can't put much stake into the beginning of the season. Yeah. Injuries, bad coaching. Not to say that Bickerstaff uh, is a horrible coach. It's just you know they're going to try to shell out some contracts because they overpaid for Mike Conley. They overpaid for uh, Ch Chandler Parsons. Marcus Gasol is getting back to playing very well, like an all-star level. But, you know, this is what happens when you have two or three guys with bloated <laughs> contracts that are either max or max you can't fill out your roster i i like what uh bu just said that no matter what team zion lands on people are going to claim the draft lottery is rigged in part because they don't understand how probability works and uh that's i mean that is true i mean i've always thought the edmonton oilers rigged the draft so many times in the nhl uh <laughs> Even though the last one, when they got McDavid, I don't think that one was rigged at all. I think that was just the product of the NHL, just kind of, um, kind of, they didn't really screw the pooch, but their new um, system of draft probability kind of screwed the league over in some sense in that. I mean, if McDavid had landed at a, you know, like a Southern franchise or something like that, it could have really uh, helped them out, like the Coyotes or something, but. 
you know, he's out in Edmonton, miring under uh, Peter Shirelli's terrible general management. Um, that's another topic for another day. Uh, alrighty. But, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I mean, I'd like to see the Knicks kind of getting back to some sort of semblance of relevancy. Uh, and, and I like the idea of Chris Tapp's Tim Hardaway and, and, um, and Zion on the same team. I'm sh that would sell a ton of tickets in New York. They'd be prime time. It'd be fun. It'd be fun. Uh, better than seeing him in Cleveland, that's for sure. Alrighty. Alright, guys. So we are midway through. And we all know what that means, right? That's time Charles, it's your favorite segment. Well, it it's Charles' favorite, favorite Yeah, so that's for sure. Uh... It's our non-sponsors. Oh, nice, dude. Nice. Yes. We're from our non-sponsors. Guys, every week at the middle of the show, we give a shout-out to people, places, goods, and services that we are particularly enjoying. So, <laughs> who wants to go first? You haven't gone first in a while. So. Okay, I haven't gone first in a while. Okay, so yesterday, I was... Uh, finishing my after work jog and uh, I suddenly realized that I have only one bag of popcorn for food dun, dun, dun. in my room so in my in my house so I'm like well I'm gonna have to go to the supermarket but y'all know me uh, I don't earn that much money I know I'm a lawyer but I don't earn that much money I am deeply in debt and I need to be able to afford food. And yes, I could eat at Burger King every day. And actually one time I, for a few months I was, and that did not do well for my health. But I found a wonderful establishment, a supermarket, if you will. maybe not even a supermarket, more like a, more like a mid-tier market, if you would call it. But it's, they got some good stuff and it's Aldi's. Ah, yeah. Aldi. Yeah, Aldi's. Okay, I, you know, Publix has some great deals and everything. I, you know, we always love a good pub sub. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Publix also has a little bit of a priciness to it. And I'm, and I don't eat, you know, with sober utensils, so I can't go to Whole Foods. But I go to Aldi's because Aldi's has a ton of, a uh, ton of great food. Maybe not the name brands that you usually buy. Okay. Maybe the, the Frosted Flakes aren't really Frosted Flakes. Actually, they actually do call them Frosted Flakes because I don't think that name is actually trademarked. But uh, they have their, their breakfast cereals. Uh, they have their uh, breakfast bars. I, I went and I got uh, a nice baguette that I could bake myself. Uh, they've got a nice selection of meats and vegetables. And the fun thing about them is sometimes they have nice uh, knickknacks for your home. Um, maybe you need some shelves go get yourself some shelves from them hey uh, you get, they got toaster ovens for actually pretty darn reasonable prices um, I, I think I saw one over there for like $25 for a toaster oven a pretty big one and I'm actually gonna go home after this and fire me up some uh, uh, some meat Ooh. instead of my air fryer and which is another product that I actually gave a, a shout out to so all these thank you and they're uh, I bought like I don't know four thousand items, and it was only like sixty bucks. <laughs> That's how good their prices are. So, shop all these. 
promo code. code. Oh yeah, promo code cheapskate. <laughs> <laughs> All right, how about you, Charles? Alrighty. So, since we kind of mentioned the whole lawyer life, I don't like to believe in stereotypes. But the one stereotype I will believe in is that most lawyers or attorneys, legal counsel, whatever we want to call ourselves, like a night's whiskey. And in my liquor cabinet, and this doesn't really apply to those who are non-drinkers, so I apologize in advance, but I've been drinking on something called Long Ranch. It's made by Wild Turkey. It's that Matthew McConaughey commercial that you see with his southern drawl. It is a sweet mixture of uh, oak and smoky mesquite from Texas. And let me tell you, it's got the right kind of black paint. It's bitter, but bitter in a good way, just like my love life. You know, if you want something that's smooth, that tastes good, that you can have it as a nightcap, that you can have it for dinner. I don't encourage it during lunch because I believe that I need to keep my brain you as said, focused as possible. You said Matthew McConaughey drinks this? Yeah, he, uh, uh, he, he, drinks... uh, he mixed with it. Okay. He, he, like, basically put some money with them. Uh, oh, so he's okay. just basically so, sponsoring. So, he so drinks... he's a sponsor to my non-sponsor. Oh, okay. So he drinks it on the on the Texas Longhorns bench then? Yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah. I'm assuming that's where his true detective character came from because, man, <laughs> once once I take a nice sip of Long Branch uh, bourbon whiskey, I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, I want to go solve some crime. So, you know, for the adults only kids, 21 and over, where the drinking drink age is legal. But my non sponsor sponsor is uh, Wall Street's Long Branch. Get you a little mesquite. Right. Promo code Tasty. Tasty. Did you all see the McConaughey on the on the Texas basketball bench? That's what I mentioned it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's why I mentioned it. Sorry, I was getting something uh, set up for one of our segments later, so it was kind of in and out. Uh, my segment, I'm coming full, sort of almost full circle here. So, back in one of the first weeks of the show, I mentioned that Sam's Club was was my non-sponsor. I am going to continue down the line of, uh, I guess you call it, warehouse stores, and I'm going to go with Costco. Co- okay, big box. Okay. Yeah, big box warehouse stores. Um, Costco. More specifically, their hot dog combo. Oh yes, that's right. A buck fifty. Their cost. This is the same price they've had on this since the 1980s or whenever they. First started it they are literally losing money on these combos now but those hot dogs are so damn tasty excuse my language but it's worth it those are really good hot dogs and they have all the fixing they've got onion they've got regular mustard deli mustard ketchup relish sauerkraut and i'm sure something else in there those are really really tasty and their pizza is okay. Sam's has better pizza. But definitely Costco is the better hot dog. So, um, but everything else, like in Sam's, is the same. They've got air conditioning. They have a lot of couches that you can sit on. Uh, so in that regard, it's basically the same. They have different products, but definitely those hot dogs. Uh, you know what I love at, at Costco? What? The Froyo. They changed the Froyo, though. What they changed to? They they used to have the the chocolate vanilla mix. Yeah, now they have the berry one, right? Well, they got they have a side berry now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the side berry one. Okay, but I just get the straight vanilla. The straight but they got rid of the chocolate. Yeah. Wow. Okay, uh, but the, okay, well, the vanilla is good though. Okay, yeah, they don't. No, it's it's great, and it's like 
Like a, it's like a massive amount for like 340 calories. I mean, right. I don't know what I don't know what they put in it, but um, it's probably not good for me. But still, it's it's good to eat. That's for sure. And they have uh, strawberry sauce oh. that you think you can put on too. That makes it also really. I've good. never done that. Holy crap! I've never done that. You know what we have to do this weekend? We're gonna have to go to Costco We're and get some, to to Costco. some vanilla froyo with strawberry. I just Char- got some soft serve from Burger King. That was actually pretty good too. Feel free to tag along with us, Charles. I'm not sure if there's a Costco in between us and you. I'm sure there are. Probably <laughs> will. I'll find it. There's that'll definitely a Costco in Boca. That's for sure. That'll be our weekend adventure. <laughs> no, we're not going to go, go shopping. <laughs> so, definitely Costco, specifically the Costco hot dog combo, highly recommended. And even if you don't have a membership, my guess is you can probably find a way to sneak yourself in so you can get one. I'm sure they would be okay with you spending the money. So promo code is uh, delicious deliciousness. Delicious deliciousness. Okay. Alrighty. So Costco, Aldi's, and Long Branch. Wow, turkey. Delicious. While we're kind of in a, a fun mode, as it will, I want to just briefly go back, quickly, quick segment, the Fulmer Cup, if I ah, may. Ah, yes, 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 yes. Let's go. There it is. It is on screen. There is not a lot to discuss this week, unfortunately. This Aww. has been a very slow week. So everybody's been a good boy. Everyone has been a good boy. Uh, hopefully, well... Hopefully it's not a good word because you never want people to commit crime. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully someone out there commits some sort of murder. <laughs> but uh, so far, yeah, no changes. I, I want to make a disclaimer. This is not the... If, I like that graphic. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is not the official podcast. There is no official podcast for the Fulmer Cup. This is not that either, obviously. But this is me as a Fulmer Cup moderator and just a Fulmer Cup fan bringing you your weekly update of the criminal activity that takes place in Division One college <laughs> football during the offseason, which, to be specific, is from the second that the national championship game ends to the second that the kicker kicks the ball for the Week Zero matchup between Hawaii and Arizona in on October. August 24th so about a six or seven month period I suck at math where it is a free-for-all where you and your team can earn points so again not a lot to disclose this week which is unfortunate but so who's in the lead right now Alabama okay they're the only they're the only team that has scored points because they had the one player with public Ooh. intoxication all right, so they're going to be, so far, they are the champions of the offseason. They just have six months or so to go. <laughs> okay. Oh, and for the record, I looked it up. I need to, or I asked somebody, I'll have to look deeper into it, but the record for most points in a single instance or incident. Okay. It, it's a combination of different crimes, obviously. It's, it's not just one crime, <laughs> but it's a... It's the the combination of different crimes that one player committed. The record is fifty five points. 
which if you look at the <laughs> no that's not 55 different crimes right no 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 it's 55 points accumulated okay. from the various crimes he committed okay uh, next week i will i'll leave you in suspense i suppose i'll tell you who it was and what they did because that is blows away any record that any player has ever gotten which considering that most of the crimes are below 10 points think the there are only two crimes that are that are in the double digits which is murder and cannibalism (laughs) so to rack up 55 points is really saying something okay so that's our fulmer cup update for this week all right guys uh well uh, this is actually a topic uh that i uh andrew thought up about we're almost, we're about two days away from the NHL All-Star break. At least Alabama will win the national title this season, as, as uh, BU just said. But I want to talk a little bit about the NHL before we get into the All-Star break. And Sue, uh, we shall do that. And I think what mostly what we're going to talk about is the fact that the New York Islanders have sat atop the Metro Division now. Uh, very surprising given how they started off the season. They were actually pretty uh, mired in terribleness with the Florida Panthers and have have been able to string things together. And I'm, I'm actually very surprised. Uh, Barry Trotz, the uh, reigning Stanley Cup champion coach, he's no longer with the Washington Capitals, but he is the guy who helped lead them to the Stanley Cup last season, is... Working his magic out in Long Island, in Brooklyn, for now. And Lou Lamorello, another big pickup for the Islanders. Uh, if For all of you who don't know, Lou Lamorello is the architect of the New Jersey Devils dynasty. With, uh, uh, with uh, Martin Berger, Niedermeyer, all those guys. All those wonderful human beings that won three Stanley Cups out in New Jersey. And so uh, he's working his magic out in New York. Now, previously, Lou Lamorello was in Toronto helping the, um, the Maple Leafs. I almost said the Blue Jays, but the Maple Leafs uh, turned their stuff around. And lo and behold, uh, the funny thing was we got to, we got to the point where the, um, the New York Islanders finally sat alone atop the Metro Division and they had 60 points. And for those of you who don't know, they lost uh, one of their uh, biggest stars in John Tavares to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Everyone and their mother thought they were done. That was it. Yeah. I, everybody was expecting them to be just awful. They'll probably tank, uh, lose for Hughes, and, <laughs> and also uh, probably be mired with maybe like the Ottawa Senators or something like that for, for the worst team in the league. However, even though there's no really awful teams right now in the NHL, but we'll get there. We'll get there. I'm sure after the trading deadline, we'll start to see some good old-fashioned tanking. <laughs> but John Tavares kind of strung them along for, for that entire end of last season. And they're like, okay, maybe he's going to sign with them. Maybe if they offer him 
enough money he'll stick with them uh he's from the toronto area he obviously would love to play for his hometown team but he was drafted by the islanders and this and that he's in new york eventually Tavares signs with the maple leafs and the maple leafs are awesome this season um in no small part to john Tavares, and of course they have uh austin matthews and uh anderson in goal but they have the same amount of points as the islanders now so now we've got uh i actually want to show this on screen and andrew you kind of give your thoughts a little bit about the islanders while i look for this honestly it's a surprise i mean people were expecting tampa bay to do well this season and so far they are they're the they're in the running for the president's trophy which is the number the number one team overall in both in terms of point earnage across both conferences but the islanders are right behind them no one would have expected that right so much so that espn nhl you name it, their official, their official social media accounts. You'll see it on screen. Once I'm going to leave it up for a little bit. Like keep going. The official social media account. are basically saying, "Well, I, who would have imagined this coming?" <laughs> it's it. Nobody expected. I it think coming. Charles just saw it. Okay, so this is the. Uh, I don't know if you guys have followed this account on Twitter, but this is the New York Islanders. It's not official, but the Isles White SUV. Because as you know, well, as some of you may not know, they play at the Barclays Center sharing with the Brooklyn Nets. That building is not configured for hockey. It's more for basketball. So thus, it's, the ice surface is way too big for it. In the corner of, of, the, of, of the arena, next to the ice, there's like this blank space where there's nothing there. And so they parked an SUV there. It's sponsored by Honda, I think. And so somebody created an account for that SUV. And um, it says right there on screen, crazy stat, Mariano is first person to unanimously walk on the moon in the postseason. <laughs> That's great. Okay, I, I was just, I was looking for, man, this must be a, a Yankees fan whoever runs this. Because um, there's more about Mariano than the Islanders. But I was looking for the... Uh, the tweet that they put out about John Tavares. Gosh. Uh, but I keep going, uh, Andrew. Honestly, I'm pleasantly surprised. I mean, I mean, I, I'm excited to see it because tanking is no fun. Uh, I know for some teams it's it's a necessary evil. I know the the Philadelphia 76ers had the process over in the NBA, but it's it's good to see that they're they're taking the loss of uh, Tavares. Tavares. Thank you, Tavares in stride, and not only that, they are saying, you know what, darn it, we are going to have the best possible season we have we brought in the the reigning stanley cup winning coach so obviously he he did something right and i think this honestly shows that i know that it was barry trotz right was the coach what barry trotz he's the coach of the islanders right now yeah i mean 
I'm sure some people thought, oh, Barry Trotz, he's a good coach, but he was, part of it was his circumstance being surrounded by Brayden Holtby, Alex Ovechkin, so they weren't 100% sure whether, how good he truly was. This shows Trotz is a very, very good coach, because he took a team that was down and out from losing their, their star player, the player that they drafted and brought up for all these years losing him and he's he's made them even more successful than they were last year which is amazing i mean if you i know i keep bringing up urinating tree but <laughs> they've won what was it one playoff series and that's debatable yeah mr mr ah, panthers there fan. it is i found it mr panthers fan here oh i'll get to this Okay, so the the white SUV tweeted this out once they made it, made it into first place in the Metro Division. What's it feel like to be in first, 91 Tavares? Oops, sorry, tag wrong account. Because if you look at the standings in the NHL, the, uh, the Maple Leafs are having a fantastic season, 60 points. But they are so far away from the Tampa Bay Lightning that it's ridiculous. Uh, so it's a bit of uh, a bit of uh, shade that the... A white SUV is thrown to Jonathan Tavares. Finally, because <laughs> as the, he finally he leaves for the Maple Leafs, they're not even a first place team, and his old team is a first place team now. And I don't, I mean, well, in in their defense, wait, the Maple Leafs—they're in the Metro Division as well. No, they're in the Atlantic. That's what I thought. In fairness, the Atlantic is a very tough division. And you've got the Lightning. Well, the Eastern Conference in the NHL right now is really tough. I mean, right. I think it's more... I, I don't know if it's akin to the Western Conference in the NBA, but it's definitely the stronger of the two conferences, mm-hmm. at least this season right now. And I guess last season, too. Right. Even though, which may or may not explain the, the Knights' run through the, through, through the Western Conference, but the Knights are still great this season. Anyways, oh, absolutely. But, um, but still, that, that's a bit of a tangent, but still, um, the Eastern Conference is really good this season, and you have um, some really good... There's there's a bit of a drop-off between um, after the Sabres, because I think the Penguins hold the second wild-card spot and final spot, uh, and then it's the Sabres, and then after that, you got kind of the rest of the, the Eastern Conference. Um, I can actually look that up real quick uh but still i i it's a testament to barry trott's coaching he's he's been the difference maker for the islanders i think him and lou lamorello um he could have easily i mean the islanders could have easily walked into the situation i mean they don't they they could have easily just like relegated themselves to okay we lost to Varys, we're gonna have to tank to get our next superstar which could have easily been the case but they go out and get barry trotz and lamorello into that organization and it kind of brought some sort of competitiveness to them and say hey, look we're not just going to be a doormat this season and i know we we're um i know that we're not we don't have a superstar here but it's the NHL. You don't. You can kind of work around that sort of thing if you can um, uh, create an elite defense uh, or something like that. Even though the league is more higher scoring than ever, uh, but so kudos to the Islanders for 
getting it together. I think the first month, uh, kind of like what the NBA, maybe the opposite of the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, the Islanders needed a month to kind of figure it out, and boom, here they are. Whereas the Grizzlies needed a month for everybody else to figure them out. Uh, alrighty. So kudos on the Islanders. Uh, I, they're even though Chorchek was still tripped, um, you guys are doing a good job out there. <laughs> and that's a reference to the Florida Panthers. The Florida Panthers 2016, Islanders. Twenty sixteen. Yep. He, he for those obviously that was basically the Saints, uh, the Saints Rams. Mm -hmm. Uh, pass interference type of thing where it was so blatant it was not called. For the record, and we lost the game in the series because of that. For the record, Francisco just had the thousand yard stare going right now. So, yeah, he's he's still not. What could have been? <laughs> what could have been? What could have been? But hey, look at the Panthers. They've won three games in a row and uh, look like they're about to do what they did last season, which is a mad dash with thirty four games left winning 25 of their last 34 games and still missing the playoffs by a point. That'll be fun. You guys, so I won't exactly make my Panthers a terrible segment just yet. <laughs> All right, guys. It's coming. Yeah, it's coming. That was my hockey talk, and that was Charles' one contribution to the hockey talk. <laughs> Sorry, dude. I it's know. growing week by week. Week by week. He's yeah. learning little, little more, little by little about hockey. He's like, ah. So I now know that they have a trophy for first place. Yeah, the there's NBA, an so. Islanders team in New York. I see. That I know. <laughs> but but now I'm actually on the President's Cup, so a President's Trophy. So we did it, you guys. We did it. You know, the President's Trophy is essentially just a. Um, it means I, absolutely nothing. It's a bad omen from most teams, actually. <laughs> the the Capitals would win that routinely, or at least come very close to it, and they just kept blowing every single chance they had yeah they, they couldn't even make it to the western to the eastern conference finals until last season actually right. it was the first time they broke through yeah since 98 when they last went to the finals yeah so it's the uh, equivalent they of just the, got decimated by the red wings of the god so it's of like the nba coach of the year where you win and you get fired for the most part <laughs> essentially <laughs> and actually the nhl is kind of the same thing the, the jack adams award winner the the um, head coach, the head coach, the best uh, head coach of the, of the season. They usually don't last long after winning it, so it, it's it's not exactly um, Joe Girardi getting fired by the Marlins, uh, but it's pretty close. Uh, as soon as he wins Manager of the Year, but it's pretty close. It's pretty darn close. All right, guys. So we have uh, an hour and a half into this. We have uh, talked our hockey talk. Uh, you know what? Let's have a little fun. Let's let's go to the players we remember to forget. Ooh, me, pick me. I want to start. Yeah, because you actually <laughs> have one this week. Well, I had yeah. one last week with Pedro Guerrero. Oh, but, that's true. That's true. But this true. one, I'm I'm really excited about because I don't know. It just came out out of nowhere for me, but uh, I'm excited that I found it or remembered it. So, way back when, I think this was in 1992, there was a player by the name of Chris Moore who played for Western Washington University. The team is now since defunct. I, I sent you a link oh, okay. uh, for the video, and I'll let that play because that was, that was just an awesome play. 
the greatest football catch ever. Mm-hmm. I'll let that run real quick. Okay. Chris Moore, West Western Washington University. So I'm assuming the university exists, but the football program does not. Not anymore. What is that? Holy crap, really? Uh, I'm watching the play. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I was trying to some guy named Reggie Brooks. Touchdown run, but uh, where's... Uh... There it is. Let me skip ahead. Chris Moore. Okay, so... Uh, catch... Wow. Wow. That is incredible. It, it bounces off of his arms. It hits his left leg, goes in between his butt cheeks, and then he kind of does like a, like a, like a, like an NBA type of move between his legs and holds on to the ball. Man, if that was in the NFL, they'd probably say he didn't have control of it. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. So, what happened to him since then? So he was a sophomore when that happened. This was in, I believe it was 1992. I could be wrong, though. It was the 1992 College Play of the Year uh, for the... Yeah, I just saw it. It was the first ESPYs ever. Oh. Telling you how... It just gives you an idea of how old this play was. So since then, he is now a product manager for T-Mobile. He's been in the telecommunications business for a decade. He is married with two young children who lives in North Bend, which is, I'm assuming, in Washington. He is now 37, and apparently all the jobs he's gotten, everyone brings that up because, well, why wouldn't they? Because that is just an amazing catch, and I, I think it is one of, if not the best, college football catches ever. Yeah. Because that takes some, that takes some hand, foot, butt, thigh... <laughs> hand coordination to to get that sort of a catch because just dang wow so not a lot to discuss there he's really kept quiet since then that was kind of his that was his big moment that's his claim to fame but i just figured i'd bring that up because that is an amazing catch that i i had forgotten to remember but now i remember to remember because i had forgotten it Okay. That's awesome. That is an awesome. I've never seen that. I'm surprised. Well, I watch college football, so yeah. I'm not that surprised. Though. All right, so my guy is Eddie Jones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Charles perked up a little bit. I have no idea who that is. Sorry, folks. Okay. Well, Eddie Jones is a former... Uh, Los Angeles Lakers, Charlotte Hornets, uh, Miami Heat player. Uh, he's actually from down here. He's from Pompano Beach, uh, Florida. Uh, I think he makes his uh, his home here still. Uh, he was drafted in 1994 uh, with in the first round for the 10th overall pick from uh, from Temple. So Manny Diaz did not. The University of Miami <laughs> could not steal him away. <laughs> nothing to do with that but he he played he was a shooting guard and then he was also a small forward um so he's kind of a jack of all trades well the reason that he became a small forward was because in the 2003-04 season uh he had to 
move away from being a shooting guard because of the rise of a budding young star named Dwayne Wade. <laughs> so I wonder whatever happened to that guy. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. We should do a player we should remember to forget for him. Yeah, actually, maybe sometime towards the end of the season. <laughs> you know, just just for kicks. So um, the 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 one thing I actually wanted to to well, he appeared in a Taco Bell commercial with Shaquille O'Neal. Okay. The commercial focuses on Shaq suffering from taco neck syndrome. Taco neck syndrome. Yes. So, uh, we're actually, I actually wanted to play it. I guess he, no, no Kiero Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah, this must have been before the, the Taco Bell Chihuahua uh, uh, campaign. So, let's go to good old YouTube. Um There it is, people. Roll that beautiful taco footage. Okay, since... so let's put this on blast. It now appears that Shaq is suffering from a neck injury. Of course we're concerned. That's one valuable neck. It's not natural. It's a conspiracy, man. Shaq is suffering from taco neck syndrome, TNS. It's caused by his craving for delicious Taco Bell tacos. And he's getting worse with every neck-bending bite. But now there's a big breakthrough therapy. The new Big Beef Burrito from Taco Bell. Just 99 cents 99 with double cents. the beef. It is wow. the perfect antidote for Inflation. taco neck. All right, so there's uh, taco neck syndrome, everybody. So just watch out when you're eating delicious Taco Bell. Uh, that was actually one of our non-sponsors one week. Yeah. So um, just be careful. You might have taco neck syndrome if you eat too much Taco Bell. <laughs> And so that's uh, that's my my Eddie Jones because I, I, I found that commercial and I just thought that was funny. So that's why I remember Eddie Jones, even though he's actually he's been, he was a really good he had a really good career. So it's not like he was a terrible player. I just you know he should be remembered for that commercial. Yes, for appearing one split second in that commercial. <laughs> he missed out he was on, on the cover of a basketball game. Huh? Yeah. Apparently he was on the cover of a, a basketball game. I, I saw in passing. Uh, yeah, he was. Well, Probably well, one of those several basketball games for the N64, the PlayStation, or the Sega Saturn. In that weird time of, like, 40 different NBA, NHL, NFL, baseball properties releasing games every season. And which was actually the good old days when there was competition and we didn't have crappy Electronic Arts, EA, releasing microtransaction BS every single year. Uh, as well as 2K, Take-Two with the NBA 2K series, which is all just microtransaction BS as well. This just turned into a microtransactions uh, rant a little bit, but it's kind of, <laughs> it's the reason I don't even buy regular sports games anymore, because it's all just loot box microtransaction crap. Came into that. Yeah. So they're not your sponsors, huh, for the week? No, they they won't be my non-sponsors until maybe if Nintendo ever wanted to release their own baseball or basketball or or NHL game because I think EA still has exclusive rights to the NFL. So yeah, yeah. Um, that kind of went on a tangent there, but uh, you have anybody, Charles, that you want us to remember? I do, I do, and keeping up with the football season, keeping up with the fact that 
the Kansas City Chiefs kind of broke my heart. Ooh. I'm going to bring in the quarterback that I remember very well for the Kansas City Chiefs. He played so bad that we forget, or players we got to remember, Brody Coyle. So, you know, yeah, I know. Who? I know. Brody Coyle. Or, or, this is the education right here, boys, per Wikipedia. Oh, John Brody Coyle is an American oh. football quarterback. He was drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs in the third round of the 2006 draft. He played college for the University of Alabama from 2002 to 2005. Mm. The reason why Brody Coyle pops into me is because I don't believe he won a single game in any of his starts. And he had some time. He was a Herm Edwards guy. Herm Edwards is loyal. Um, he was described to be like the future. And... His play was just so lackluster, so bad. And that was a Chiefs team that had some weapons. They had Larry Johnson back in there. Um, you know, they had a few other guys there. But his bad play gave way, and his injuries gave way to Damian Heward and Tyler Thigpen. You guys remember Tyler Thigpen. I do remember him. Uh, to come in. But he was so bad, it's what caused the Matt Castle phenomenon once Pretty uh, went down that one year. Yeah, uh, to yeah. the injury. And then what happened was basically they traded for Castle. Brody was there for like one week. He had a average season that was released, and then he just kind of retired after 2012. So, you know, not a single thing. So I'm just looking at a couple of stats just to give you an idea. Um, it was bad, you guys. It was bad. Like 2006, he only had two interceptions, no touchdowns. He briefly appeared. 2007 was more of a starter basis. He had six touchdowns, six interceptions. Didn't really do things in 2008, 2009. He only had two touchdowns and relief appearance, and 2010 it was just one interception. Where he is now, according to you know Wikipedia personal life, is that he volunteers at Big Oak Ranch, a Christian home and school founded by his father for children from troubled, abusive situations. For good on him, but he popped in because I was watching the weekend games. Like man, where have Brody Coyle? And this is where he's at now. Yeah. Uh, so he was okay. Hold on, hold on. So Kansas City. Wow, he didn't. Even... QB, QB, QB. He played 18 games in his career. Started mm-hmm. 10 of them. 0, 10, and 0. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, w- Wait, you said he played in 12 games? Or? He played in 18 games, but he started 10. Oh. And he went 0, 10, and 0 in those 10 starts. <laughs> uh, he has a, a 56.7 completion percentage for 1,669 yards. Nice. Um uh, eight touchdowns. So it's a touchdown percentage of 2.5. Uh, dear Lord. Uh, his longest one was a 50-yarder in 2009. And, wow. His QB rating. Uh, they oh, it's, it's too bad. They don't have, but he, I mean, he had a .8 QB rating his rookie season for the two games that he did play. And then, it, I guess, for the, the one... Um, the, the season he started the most games, which was in 2007, he had a QB rating of 36.1. So, and, you know, it could be worse for Dolphins fans with regards to Ryan Tannehill. We could have had that for a few seasons. Whoa. Okay, so that's that's some good perspective there. And it's also good perspective for the Chiefs fans saying, look how far you've come. Wow. Growth. Growth. That's what it's all about. <laughs> And don't trust Herm Edwards and trust in Andy Reid, except it's going to be the second round of playoffs in your Isn't office. Herm Edwards, where is he now? He's, he's coaching Arizona Carson, right? State. Arizona, yeah, State. Arizona State. Okay, how are they doing? I don't even know. They, I think they had an average well. season. Yeah. They, uh, I think they had a, a seven and We're going down the rabbit hole. 
Hold on. Check Let's check. I know they made it to a bowl game. They played Fresno State and lost. They went seven and six. Yeah, that's what I thought. Seven and six. So they had they a went seven five and four in conference play, so that's the answer. Five and four in conference play, even though the the is it the Pac twelve or Pac sixteen? What, what's Pac twelve. Okay, now. Pac twelve. Uh, even though they're not. Really... They're going to be Pac sixteen eventually, I'm sure. <laughs> you know all these weird names that don't make sense for these conferences now. Well, but, that one actually makes sense because they do have 12 players. Yeah, 12, 12 teams. Yeah, but some of them don't have the same amount and nobody knows how to count <laughs> or at least know how to use um, Adobe Illustrator and change the number. I mean, it's pretty simple, guys. Just change the number. They're, they're all firm for Herm. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Firm for Herm. That's my favorite. That's the best part of the episode. <laughs> the bus season was rather mediocre. Firm. That's that's great. If you ever ran for, if you ever ran for politics, that should be a firm slogan. Firm for Herm. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! That's great. Thank you, BU. Thank you very much. Okay. So those are the players remember to forget. That's funny. I'm very happy with Firm for Herm. Ah, okay. Oh boy. Wow. And their hockey team benefited from the good juju Herm provided. (laughs) That's true. uh, Yeah, we were talking about that last week about Arizona State hockey and how much uh, having hockey in a in a southern market or in a southern area is great for college hockey and it's great for hockey in general and hopefully we get to see some teams out in california and i would assume california would be the next logical step for that uh but that's more of a uh tangent type of thing if i keep going with that we already discussed it last week you can watch the episode i'll probably put a thing up there because youtube wants us to do crap like that uh fan opinion guys Sue, uh, to, to round out um, the episode, uh, just I wanted to ask you guys the move that your team should have done, but they didn't, and now you believe it was the biggest missed opportunity for them. Hmm. All right. So I'll give you an, an example. It's actually the biggest example that I think of. And it's regarding my wonderfully, my wonderful and favorite baseball team, the Miami Marlins. Back then, they were called the Florida Marlins. The 2009 season, the last season, the Marlins had a winning record. I think they won, um, and I'll actually confirm this right now. They obviously won at least 82 games. I think they won either 86 or 88 games. Um, 2009 uh, Marlins. So... Uh, Florida Marlins takes 2009, 87 games. So you kind of split the difference. Yeah, there you go. 87 games. They finished second in the NL East. Um, I, gosh, I, I got to see the standings for that season actually. Um, so let me let me look that up too. But if you guys don't know, 2009 was a pivotal year for the Marlins as a franchise. Hmm. 
mainly because um, uh, uh oh all right we're back technical difficulties we still have about like 12 minutes left in the episode but 2009 was a missed opportunity for the Marlins because of the fact that uh, there, there was they were trying to get that funding for the stadium okay 2009 was a pivotal year Jeffrey Loria and his little minion uh, David Sampson needed to show Miami-Dade County that uh, they were poor they couldn't afford to fully finance a baseball stadium. And if they didn't, they would move the Miami, the Florida Marlins at that time to someplace like San Antonio, which was the, the city that they were courting at the time. You would actually probably, in hindsight, be very happy with that move. <laughs> because San, or El Paso. No, no. Well, if, if that had happened, I would... No, El Paso would be fine. If, it was like, <laughs> you know, you know, if, if they moved the franchise to El Paso, I'd be just like the Raiders fans in L.A., uh, just be cheering on those El Paso Marlins. Nowhere near an ocean, but that, I, I would, they shouldn't even change the name if they ever did that. <laughs> just be the El Paso Marlins. Uh, but still, uh, the Marlins had 87 wins that season. Last time we won, we had a, a winning record. And Jeffrey Loria, trading deadline, very pivotal. 2003, they traded for Uga Therbina. And then I think the waiver deadline, they traded for Jeff Conine. Massive moves. The Marlins got a closer. They got uh, a, a seasoned veteran who had been through the playoffs before. And they win the World Series. 2009, uh, they had Josh Johnson, who at the time was awesome. Uh, yeah. Great young pitcher. Went to my sister's alma mater. James yeah, he's high from school. Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's James from Oklahoma. High school. Yeah, there you go, dude. Uh, from Oklahoma. Look like the, the our, our that that team's version of Josh Beckett, okay? Handy Ramirez back then wasn't a joke. Uh, back then had less weave in his hair, uh, but uh, uh, I think he was the that season. I think he was the NL batting champion, and he won the Silver Slugger, and he was the Rookie of the Year in two thousand and six. Uh, so the Marlins. Uh, so 2009 MLB standings. All right. So Charles' Yankees obviously won the World Series that season. Mm -hmm. So he remembers that year very fondly. Uh, the Marlins would have obviously, had they traded for some help that season, some starting pitching uh, or something like that to put them over the top, I believe the Marlins could have um, uh, made the playoffs that season. So... Uh, the wild card for that season were the Colorado Rockies at 92 wins. So only five wins away. The Marlins, had they gotten some help, maybe would have been able to make that difference. Or maybe have challenged the Phillies for the NL East. So that was the biggest missed opportunity. I think that team was prime and ready. Freddie Gonzalez was not a terrible manager that season. And... It's the biggest missed opportunity for me. They would have beaten the Yankees in the World Series in 2009. And, you know, we'd be sitting here uh, and Derek Jeter wouldn't be trying to save the franchise now, <laughs> which is kind of funny now. It's all come who, full circle. And who knows? Maybe they'll still, they would have still been the Florida Marlins. Or they would have been the San Antonio Marlins. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Okay, so that's my biggest missed opportunity. 2009 Florida Marlins baseball season. Charles? Alrighty, so, you know, as a Yankee fan, we always kind of swing home. So, for me, it's not about missed opportunities of trying to sign a guy. It's missed opportunities that I'm using and not looking at hindsight and avoiding signing a guy. So, basically, I'm going to invert and say, we should have signed this dude because it would have helped us in the long run. And this is going to be a name that you're familiar with, uh, Francisco. Capavano. Oh! Yeah, because oh. what do Yankees do when we eye you? I love Carl And we like you. Well, you you could love you some Carpvano back in two thousand three. Yeah, <laughs> and two thousand and two thousand and four, which enticed you guys to sign them. <laughs> exactly. We we because that that was the Yankee way when uh you know the signing, big boss was still alive signing Randy signing Johnson. Away, yeah, signing away opponents who handed us our hinds and uh, to keep it PG here, but also just you know throwing big money to pitchers. So. The contract that Bravano had was for four years, $39.95 million. This was back in 2005. Um, we had also signed Randy Johnson. He had been coming off a season where he went 18-8 with the Marlins, posting a three-point ERA. We were so happy. We were thinking we were finally getting that you know, one-three punch in the rotation. And then it kind of went downhill after that. His first season in the Yanks, he went 4-2 and two with 369 ERA. But then he got hurt. And you know what happens when they come back? They get destroyed. He made 17 starts in the entire season. His finishing record was four and six with four seven seven ERA. Okay, maybe like a four five starting pitcher numbers, but still we paid him bigger money at that time. Uh, didn't make a start with the Yankees in 2006. He was on the DL. Then he was in a car accident, breaking his two ribs, and he didn't tell anybody um, until like the 28, 14 days later after the fact. So they banned him. And then he only made nine starts within the next two years of his career. And then, you know, everything was let go. His whole record over four seasons was 9-8 and eight with a 5-10 ERA and 26 starts. Um, after that, he had kind of like that career in Toronto, Cleveland, Minnesota, where he was just kind of like the average guy. But think about all the money we spent that year trying to get back into it because we were just in a Game 7 loss against the Marlins not too far out early. We got a little uh, petty. And we paid for our pettiness. So that's a move I wish they didn't make. You guys lost in game six, by the way. Game sorry. six, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Brain's going off to a, a different part. But um, pain, beyond pain, my friends. Okay. Anything for you, Andrew? I'll just make mine quick. I, I, I'm not used to a team that has to go through such a really big rebuilding in order to get someplace. But I kind of understand how the the Sixers and all these tanking teams feel. Although, contrary to what we've been doing, the Rays did really well this year in terms of record. But every time we trade away a really good player that's been with the team for a long time, I feel like a little bit of my heart breaks and it gets chipped away. The kind of the biggest moment was when we traded Evan Longoria to the to the Giants. I mean, all these different trades hurt. You know, Jason Bartlett, Sean Rodriguez, uh, you name it. There, I think there's nobody left from the 2008 World Series roster at this point. And just seeing them all chipped away, it's just it hurts. Uh, so I think kind of as a collective, that would be my answer. 
but especially the Evan Longoria trade. I know it may help us in the long run, but... And it didn't help the Giants, that's for sure. <laughs> but at least for now, it, it all of them is just very painful. I was hoping that he would have come up through the system as a Ray, played his entire career as a Ray. I mean, I know that we've discussed before that you don't buy jerseys normally for players unless it's a player that's meant a lot to the team. For me, Longoria is that player. I would go out and buy a jersey and, with his name and number because dude was was more than just a player. He kind of symbolized the team was the heart of the yeah. team. I mean, I don't know what the, the Giants are. Well, their championship window is shut. It's over. It's done. Yeah. I mean, he's 30. Uh, Longoria, he's 32. Um, last season's numbers were, you know... I mean, he, it's obvious he's on the downswing of his career. I know, but he is, with very little argument, the best player in race history. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm not talking about the Wade Boggs who came in in the last year of his career, got his 3,000th hit. I mean, obviously, no, Wade Boggs... owns the record right, for the race. But I'm talking about in terms of their career with the Rays. Right. He is bar none the best player. And... Like I said, beyond just his play, I know he's on the decline, although watch him have an, an astronomical 2019 season now that I've said this. But, uh, you know, more than that, he it's just what he represented to the team as more or less the captain. He didn't have the C on his jersey, but like Derek Jeter was for the Yankees, he was our captain more or less. So losing that was, was very painful. Okay. All right, so we're getting towards the end here, probably the last three, four, five minutes of our show, and Andrew loves to do this bit right here. <laughs> As you all know, there's 40 billion college basketball games on, and probably 339 billion of those, uh, we don't even know their names or where they're from, those colleges, so we do a little bit of uh, weird college team names, guess that college team name, whatever you call it. So, Andrew, what do we got tonight? Well, I switched it up a little bit, and remember when I said earlier that I was doing some research for a segment later? This is said research. I was speaking with the one and only BU Mr. Canada. I decided to change things up a little bit, and I went with college hockey. Okay. All right. Because there weren't a lot of interesting games on tonight for co for college basketball. As far as the... The teens being kind of weird right. or whatever. Because, like, the Duke Blue Devils are playing tonight as far as the men's are concerned. Right. But, yeah. So, starting us off is the University of Massachusetts at Lowell. Oh, gosh. You know, I've heard... The thing is... All right, so, obviously, following hockey, I know some of the school's names as far as the places. Okay? Minnesota, Duluth, all those places and stuff like that. But... I don't know their names of the nicknames of the teams. So I've heard of uh, of Massachusetts Lowell, but I don't know who they are. I don't know what their colors are. <laughs> okay. Um, well, just going off of memory, and BU can probably confirm or deny this for me, A, Minnesota Duluth is the Bulldogs, mm -hmm. and B, Lowell is blue and red, and I hope I got that right because then I'll make myself look like an idiot on quote-unquote national TV so it's a two-word name one of them is a body of water and the other is an avian creature so a flying creature 
So the ducks of some sort. The lake ducks. Um, more predatory. Okay. And less standing water. Okay. Okay, the... The river eagles. Which doesn't you make sense to me. You got the river correct. Okay. River herons? River herons. More predatory. Could you count a heron? More, kind of. A very pissed off heron. <laughs> hey, man, don't mess with goose or geese. Yeah, that's right. They, yeah. The, the... Okay, the river. Uh, even though, uh, oh gosh, there's a minor league baseball team that I just found out is called the Sod Poodles. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I think they're out in Texas. Yeah. Uh, the Amarillo Sod Poodles. Which I found out is a prairie dog. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, to, Sorry. to make sure we can go along quicker, UML, as Mr. BU Canada said, is the River Hawks. The River Hawks. Okay. okay. And again, they are based out of Lowell, Massachusetts. Okay. Uh, two Alaska teams here. First off is the flagship of Alaska. the of the Alaska University system. Alaska. They, they used to have an ECHL team called the Aces. They don't have one anymore. But sorry, go ahead. Um, Alaska Fairbanks. Okay. Um, it is an Inuit term. Oh god. So. <laughs> Uh, the only Inuit that I know is the theme song to Metal is uh, the, the the credits theme for Metal Gear Solid, because um, that was actually an Inuit. So, um, sorry, but, but uh, it's an Inuit term. So I I we would never guess it, would we? Do you want to even give it a shot, Charles? I'm just googling what Inuit means. I'm an educated man, but apparently not that educated. Inuit is a indigenous tribe, tribe oh, yeah. from alaska the um the the old term the old school was eskimo, eskimo yes but yeah um, you see i'm not we're not PC, yeah. So eskimo. yeah we're not dan snyder so <laughs> yeah uh so the answer to that one is the nanooks the nanooks which is i couldn't i uh, couldn't nail it down it's either polar bear or a polar bear like Owner, Wrangler, okay, Master, something like that. Nanooks, kind of close to Canucks. <laughs> oh, that's true. Vancouver, I, I don't know. And then Canucks, next Canucks. is Alaska Anchorage. Alaska Anchorage. And I'll save the other, I have three other teams lined up, but I know we're running low on time, so I'll just end it with Alaska Anchorage. The Anchors. That would be cool. Um, it is... A fictional creature, I presume. It is, it is a canine, but it's it's a combination word. It's it's, it's a a large body of water and a canine, a wild canine, but it's all one word. Huh. The sea wolves. Correct. Oh. Okay. Right off the bat, Mister Reporta. Yes. What the hell is a sea wolf? <laughs> It is, I'm assuming, a fictional creature, or it could just be a wolf that is in sea. I mean, aren't seals, like, some seals considered, like, sea dogs or something? Something like that. I know in doggo lingo, uh, seals are sea puppers. Okay. Or sea dogs. Because, I mean, there's a, there's a, um, I think there's an o either an OHL or a QMJHL team called the Sea Dog, the, the freaking St. John's uh, Sea Dogs, uh, where Jonathan Huberdo used to play, but. Uh, 
that and they have kind of like a sea lion as a or seal seal or a sea lion uh, it feels like an arrested development episode <laughs> um lucille uh okay all right so sea wolf a sea wolf just okay well cool. it's in this case it's plural so sea wolves so sea wolves okay but in hockey we don't care about plural plurals or anything look at the maple leaves and the flyers so i want to thank mr bu mr canada for those teams it was greatly appreciated i like bringing some hockey into things since it's a very i think in the grand scheme of things very overlooked college sport even though it's a heck of a lot of fun to watch all right guys so that's the end of this episode thank you andrew charles cesar wherever he may be yep and uh that's it so parting words um watch sports guys (laughs) (laughs) just because it's a quiet week doesn't mean you get away with it and you know what i i don't know of a a foreign farewell tonight adios I guess, well, I've already covered audio, okay. so I guess I'll say farewell, because I haven't done English yet. Oh, that's true. <laughs> so, farewell to everybody, watch sports, as Mr. Charles said, and I hope you have a wonderful week. <laughs>